Hello and welcome to another episode of the Go to Market Speed Dial podcast. I'm your host, Hillary Carpio. Today, I am super excited to do another Ask Me Anything. And of course, while not planned, it's going to be about account-based marketing because those are the questions you guys have asked me. So if you're not familiar with my background or this is your first time listening to the podcast, while I support the go-to-market function as a whole, I do lead the account-based marketing function at Snowflake. My team is made up of about 20 individuals dedicated to account-based marketing. They are phenomenal. They're the only reason that we are successful is because of how great they are. Um, We have a team of about 30 globally. We touch over 5,000 accounts a quarter. So we are doing ABM at a massive scale, and I am always happy to help and share my thoughts and insights about account-based marketing as you guys are building and scaling your program. So I'm excited to dive in today and talk about everything from measurement to tactics to what is demand gen versus ABM. I'm taking your questions and answering them one by one. If you have more questions you want answered after this episode, you can always find me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash Hillary Carpio or on my website, thehillarycarpio.com forward slash podcast. And with that, we will dive right into the next episode of the Go to Market Speed Dial podcast. We're going to start it off hot with a question about what is the number one ABM tactic for 2023? And I'm actually going to give you guys two answers for this one, because I think there's one immediately obvious answer, which is ChatGPT, generative AI, all things AI, as it is becoming the hottest trend in the market today. So I think we'll continue to see generative AI get incorporated into existing ABM plays. And I think a lot of that's going to be generated web copy and ad copy. A lot of that's going to be SDR generated messages for outbound prospecting. And I also think we'll see generative AI play a much bigger role in ABM account preparedness and account account knowledge is being partnered with the sales team on. So we'll be using something like ChatGPT to understand the overview of an account, what their latest earnings mean in relation to the company that you work for and how you can position that to the account that you're selling to with sales, with SDRs, with your product marketing team, et cetera. So I think generative AI is here to stay and you're only going to see more of it in the ABM world. I do caution you though, account-based marketing at its nature is based on relationships. And I think that while ChatGPT and generative AI will be a really important piece of scaling ABM, we do risk breaking the trust and breaking those relationships if we don't use it wisely. So be very careful in how you use it and make sure that you are still putting the best interest of the person you're marketing to first. And that's how you're going to continue to add value. But if you try to take advantage of them, try to trick them, et cetera, there's going to be a lot of walls that come up and that uh, trust that you've worked so hard to build will go away very quickly. So that's my recommendation there. Outside of generative AI, I think in-person events for specific accounts are going to be the hot trend for 2023. With the pandemic largely behind us and people really tired of online uh, events, webinars, demos, etc., people are craving getting back in person and really networking with their peers and learning hands-on in a very meaningful way. So, Uh, one-to-one events where we have a specific account that we are targeting or marketing to in a very, very tailored way with a custom agenda built to their needs. I think that's going to be a big tactic. And then the one-to-few approach as well, where we're bringing a few accounts together that have a similar interest, similar need, similar industry to target them in in a special way as well. 
while we're on the event train, I think there's also a really important place for ABM at corporate events and at large events. Just because it's a massive event doesn't mean there isn't a good opportunity to activate those accounts either on site through an activation or uh, through a hotel room drop or through a special experience after the event, uh, through a cab or other sort of community engagement. There's a lot of ways you can incorporate top accounts into those into those activities. So that's another option too. I wouldn't say that's my number one tactic for 2023, but it is something that we can think about and consider as we go back into a very event-centric world. Okay, question number two. If you had to choose just two metrics for your ABM campaign managers to report onto you on the success of their ABM campaigns quarterly, what would they be and why? I kind of have three, but I'll start with two. The first is gonna be ABM engaged accounts. And this means that we're taking an account funnel. How many accounts are we targeting with account-based marketing and how many are actually engaged? And engaged can be defined per each company. It can mean something very different. And I like this I like this KPI because you can tailor it and you can make it as straightforward or as complex as you want. Engaged could be that there's at least one campaign responder from the account. It could be that there's a certain threshold of uh, visitors to the ABM pages or to your main website. Engaged could be three campaign responders and visits and responded to a piece of direct mail. It can be a whole host of things or it could include um, SDR touch points or AE touch points as well. But this tells us not only are we going after the accounts, but are they responsive to the programs that we're running? So that engaged number is really important. However, it becomes more important when you compare it to the baseline of non-ABM accounts. So if you have a non-ABM account that is being either not targeted at all or targeted through a broader effort, what is their engagement versus when you're doing ABM, what is the engagement? That lift metric is really going to tell you how impactful ABM is as opposed to just are those people going to engage anyway, even if you weren't doing ABM, because uh, that doesn't tell you a whole lot in that case. So uh, that lift in engagement is really important. The second is going to be the SDR meeting rate. And that comes from an outbound ABM perspective that uh, efficiency of SDRs is one area that ABM can make a really strong impact and create a really good sense of alignment that then also impacts sales and the broader marketing functions as well. So you're looking at how many accounts did the SDR target with their prospecting and uh, pro tip, the number of accounts targeted by ABM that I just mentioned in my first metric, those should match because you should be going after them together. So number of accounts touched by an SDR versus how many of those accounts had a completed meeting in them. That is what we call our SDR account meeting rate. That number, again, compared to the number of accounts that they reach out to that are not being touched by ABM, and that is where you're going to see the lift. We like to see anywhere from a 2x to 4x lift between the accounts targeted by SDRs with ABM versus the accounts targeted without ABM. Because we see that lift and because we see that impact, we actually want them most of their meeting quota coming from ABM accounts. But those are two really important metrics. Now, I say that with one caveat that pipeline will always be the most important metric because at the end of the day, you can engage accounts, you can engage people, you can set SDR meetings. But if you're not creating pipeline, then that's not really entirely successful. Because as a marketing organization and as a sales organization, that is our combined goal. So those are the two I would look at. Again, those are heavy on the outbound ABM perspective. If you're prioritizing, say, open opportunities and deal acceleration, those top two KPIs could be very different. If you're looking at deal size, those KPIs are going to be different. So it really depends how you're using an account-based approach within your organization. But for outbound, those are my two. 
Okay, the next question pairs really nicely with the measurement question, which is, is there a place for MQLs in an optimal functioning ABM department? And absolutely there is. So you'll hear a lot of talk about ABM and MQLs and MQLs are dead and there's no place for MQLs in ABM and yada, yada, yada. The thing about MQLs is they are meaningful. It just depends on what your goal is. The reason I say that you shouldn't be measuring MQLs for ABM is because you're doing account-based marketing and you're looking at the trajectory and the progression of a single account toward that deal. So when, by measuring MQLs, you're missing the broader picture because there might be an entire buying committee that's engaging anonymously with the content you're putting out and is actually building a sphere of influence. But if you're only looking at the one conversion through an MQL, you're missing that whole picture. So I don't think MQL should be the only metric for, for account-based marketing, but we are just talking about engaging people. And MQLs can certainly be one, one aspect of how people are engaging. They could be coming to webinars. They could be attending events. Those are both MQL activities. They could be downloading content. If you're gating content, that's another MQL activity. So I would consider an MQL as one component of how you score engagement, score contacts, and score accounts. But I wouldn't make it the only one. So if you're looking at that engagement, like we were saying, they could have an MQL or X amount of anonymous page visits to an ABM page is dedicated for the account. Both of those things are going to show engagement. So you just want to make sure you have two different routes that they can uh, be recognized to see their first party engagement on. So that's my only qualm about MQLs. But yes, I think that we do have to be paying attention to them. They just are not the primary goal of what we're trying to achieve. The next question is, how do you determine when to disqualify a target account? So this was interesting. And I, I clarified to the person who asked this, are you asking when to take them out of an ABM campaign or when to disqualify them from your ICP? And the response was, they want to know both. So here's my perspective on disqualifying accounts. We want to see progression within an account if we're running a campaign. So if we've been doing an entire quarter's worth of campaign activities and there is absolutely no response, then something's not working. If this is a large account with multiple subsidiaries, we won't disqualify the account. But if you guys have heard me talk about my Roomba vacuum cleaner method of ABM, it's like the Roomba is going down a hallway and it runs into a closed door. It's just going to turn around and find another open door in the hallway. So in this case, with multiple subsidiaries, we would start going after a different subsidiary, a different line of business where there might be a more ripe opportunity. Uh, but we wouldn't stop targeting that account altogether. If it's a very small account and the timing's not right, say they have let us know they went with a competitor, for example, then we would take a note of when to reach out to them when that contract might be ending and retarget them and come back to them at that time and keep them aware in the meantime. I can't think of an example where we would disqualify them from their ICP other than if we did a poor job of choosing the ICP to begin with. Like if they shouldn't have been selected as an account, there wasn't a lot of thought or thorough discretion used in selecting them as an ABM account, which I hope would not be the case. But that's the only example I could think of is that maybe there's been a shift of accounts or a shift of account ownership and we might remove them that way. But other than that, you should have a pretty good grip. If you're going to run an account-based program, you really need to know what your ICP is and who your most valuable accounts are. It's not a tactic that I would use for accounts that you're not sure of. So be very careful in how you select your accounts, and then I wouldn't remove them from my ICP if they're not responding. I would put them in a different time frame, maybe a demand gen nurture, or move them to another phase of ABM that is engaging in a different way. But I would not disqualify them entirely. A great follow-up question to that as we're talking about nurturing them versus doing ABM versus uh, targeting from other aspects like field marketing or uh, partner marketing, et cetera, uh, is 
a question from my friend Declan. And if you haven't listened to the podcast I did with Declan about content, please go back and listen to it. It was a great one. But Declan asked, when is it ABM and when is it demand gen disguises ABM, the old wolf in sheep's clothing? And this is a super, super popular question across the ABM community. And people have really strong opinions. I have chosen and continue to maintain my stance that I am not super concerned about what is ABM and what is demand gen. From the perspective of my day-to-day at Snowflake, yes, we draw a line and we have a very collaborative relationship with the demand gen team because there are two teams working together on a single set of accounts, just a different different cross-sections of that set of accounts. But in general, I don't really care if you call it ABM or targeted demand gen. A lot of people will say one-to-many ABM is not ABM, is targeted demand gen. If you're working with sales, you're aligned in which accounts you're going after, you're doing it in a data-driven way, and you have a consistent feedback loop on those accounts that you're continuing continuing to tweak and adjust and optimize and report on in a really meaningful way, I think that's ABM. It's an account-based approach. ABM stands for account-based marketing. If you're going after a set of accounts in a meaningful way with sales in tandem, especially with uh, SDRs, that is ABM. In fact, you're going to hear more from me coming up soon about what I actually think this is, which is one team go to market is when you're working with all of these cross-functional teams together on a set of accounts. So you're going to hear different things from different people. Some people feel very strongly about man gen versus ABM. When it comes to selling this within your own organization and whether it's ABM or demand gen, you do what works for you. I would just be cautious that you be very clear about defining what the outcomes are you're going for. Because if you call something ABM, for example, and are measuring, again, leads from a demand gen effort, then those are going to be incongruent and inconsistent. And it might end up causing more harm than good in your ability to sell your methodology within the organization. So with that in mind, know what you're trying to accomplish, find the right tactics to do so, worry less about the terminology and worry more about how you're doing it, the impact it's creating and how you're bringing in cross-functional teams to create a consistent buying experience for your prospect. That perspective about ABM versus demand gen comes from a lot of experience of running both demand gen. Uh, I've ran a demand gen team before. I've run an ABM team obviously currently as well. And This leads to a great next question, which is after doing hundreds of ABM campaigns, what are the top three most surprising insights from successful campaigns? And this is a a fun question that I I like because it really made me think about what we've learned over time because I can tell you I have learned a ton as has my team. But the three things I chose for this answer are, number one, no matter how good of an idea you think it is, if sales wasn't bought in from the start, it's not going to work. And this is not a knock on sales whatsoever. It's more so a knock on marketing that we think we know what we want to do and how it's going to help the customer. But sales is connected to the customer in a very different way. And they need to be not necessarily that they have to come up with the idea from the start, but they need to be bought in as a partner in the idea from the very beginning, or it's it's not going to take off, right? It's not part of their priorities. So it needs to be solving a need, essentially, and the sales team can help you figure out if it is solving a need for the customer versus if it's solving a need for the marketing team to get a message out to the customer. And those are two very different things, not that you don't need the latter, but for an account-based approach, you really need to be aligned with what the need is of the prospect or customer and how you can help the sales rep accomplish um, or solve for that need. The second thing I've really learned is that the best, most impactful ideas come from the small things that work really well. 
And what's interesting about these is that they can be very easily overlooked. So this could be a small tactic on LinkedIn. This could be a tweak to a display ad. It could be a webinar that was run for a single account. Those one-off activities generally are born out of the need of sales to my first point. And when they show really good engagement or they show good impact, we can take those ideas and replicate them. And they tend to replicate really well. And they tend to make a very large impact when they're scaled out. That works a lot better in the account-based world than taking a really robust strategy for ABM and trying to implement it across 5,000 accounts, thousands of salespeople, et cetera. Start small, find something that works that has grown organically and replicate it. It's going to take you a lot further. And uh, as somebody who likes to plan and strategize and make beautiful decks with builds and walk people through all of that, it was a difficult lesson for me to learn, but it's really, really important if you want to be successful in the account-based industry. And then my last lesson is that simple is better. And that, again, goes to my previous point of these giant strategies, simple metrics, simple instructions. Uh, Brene Brown says clear is kind. And when you're running an account-based play or an account-based program, there's a ton of moving pieces. There's a lot of different people that are working on it. There's a lot of different programs. There's a lot of different content. And it can be really confusing, especially when you have multiple people executing in synchrony. So by simplifying, naming what you're doing, we use naming for all of our programs to make it simpler thanks to uh, Sarah Castile who actually suggested that several years ago on our team uh, but making things simple making it very very clear is one of the absolute tricks to success when I see a lot of programs when there's really extensive strategy and it could have come from an agency it could have come internally and it's a lot of words but no one really knows what they're supposed to do or how they know it's successful it's really overwhelming so what is the one step you guys as a team can take today even if it's just you and one salesperson or you and one marketing person what step can you take today toward an account-based approach could just be going into linkedin navigator and pulling up a list of accounts and looking at the insights and determining who together you're going to prospect into. Boom. First ABM play off the ground, as opposed to an entire multi-tier strategy that you can't even get the first step done because there's too much red tape, the budget's not approved, the C-level is not bought in, whatever the questions are or the red tape that's in front of you. Make it simple and it'll help tremendously. Those are my top three learnings from ABM at this point in time. And I'm sure I will continue to learn because that is life and we aren't growing if we aren't learning. All right. Next question is about what if you don't have a proper ABM program? What role can marketing play at the bottom of funnel? So for this example, we have to think about what we can do at scale, right? A lot of the impact and benefit of an account-based program is that you have individuals dedicated to sales reps that can tailor the solutions and the programs to what those sales reps need. So if you don't have the ABM program, you don't have the ABM managers to help do that, it's how can you support the sales team in a broader way um, across multiple different people from, say, one marketing person or a marketing organization. So the first thing I would think about is what content does a sales team need? And if you are the marketer in this organization, I highly encourage you to sit down with the sales team and ask them, what are the gaps? Pull data that shows what content is resonating best within the pages that you're promoting, within the main homepage, bring something to the table and ask them, what content are you missing at the bottom of funnel? What do you wish you had more of? Create that content. 
listen to what they need and create the content. That is one great way to support them. And if if you can make it customizable, that's even better where you can leave some opportunities to customize the content. Maybe they have a PDF editor, maybe use something like Canva where they can plug and play, but the ability to create content in mass would be fantastic. Even better if you can allow them to customize it. That's the first thing that you can do to support bottom of funnel. The other thing I like to do is gauge the peripheral buying committee. So these are the people that are influencing the decision that maybe aren't engaged with the sales rep. So these could be CFOs. These could be IT people. It could be the practitioner that is actually going to be using the product you're selling as opposed to the one making the decision. From an ABM perspective, we would do this at an account level and get to the people-based targeting. You could still do this from a demand gen perspective and do an audience of, say, CFOs and target all accounts in the opportunity stage. You could do an audience of IT and target all accounts in the opportunity stage. So there's different ways you can still create cohorts of individuals and target them with messaging so that by the time the contract lands on their desk or the security evaluation lands on the desk, it's not the first time that they've heard of your company and that's going to help progress that deal further. Another thing is direct mail. Direct mail is coming back. I should have mentioned that in my 2023 tactics, but direct mail is coming back now that a lot of people are either back in the office or at home for good in a work from home position. So that's another way you can engage buyers again in mass. If you think of that peripheral buying committee, I just mentioned you can engage them through um, interactive experiences, through takeaways that they can sit on their desk and remember what the value or impact that your product is going to make. All great ways to cut through the clutter in a more scaled way. And then the last piece of this is data. From a marketing perspective, what data can you provide to sales from a first party and third party engagement standpoint? So from a third party engagement, if you have intent vendors, you can create a report for all existing opportunity accounts and deliver it to sales on a weekly basis that is highlighting competitor activity. If one of their accounts is surging on a competitor during an opportunity stage, they will love you for sharing that with them. So you wanna make sure you're surfacing that sort of data. You could also service data if they're searching on a partner that they might wanna work with or partner with to take the deal to close. You can also service first party engagement, which is going to be website visitors, campaign responders, that sort of thing in order to help them understand what activity um, is taking place from their account. And it can help guide what solutions or products or interest areas that they might be interested in for further information. Another question we have is how community and ABM should work together. I think there's a huge opportunity with community and it can look a lot different depending on the type of company, the industry that you're in, and also what type of buyers you have. There's some buyers that are less interested in community and some that are more depending on your persona. But I would have a particular interest in third-party communities and engaging buyers in those communities. So as opposed to creating your own, which you should create your own community too, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but Third-party communities where people are already engaged, it's an unbiased atmosphere, and there aren't people selling down their throats, I would look at how you can involve yourself with those. If there's events you can do together, if you can volunteer to have a moderator in there but not be a seller, if you can enable your customers who are in those communities with information, with incentives to be communicating with them. Again, you have to be really careful about the authenticity. Like I was talking about ChatGPT, you have to keep that trust top of mind, but those communities are a great way to engage with your prospects and existing customers and bring them together there. I would also consider how you can use an internal community. So instead of external, how you can use an internal community to help build advocates within your, within your top accounts. So if you have a great champion that is advocating for you, 
within their existing organization. How can you build a champion program that gets them involved in the community where you can both bolster their career as well as leverage their excitement for your product within the community to help get other people excited as well? That champion building, I think, is an ABM tactic because it's at the account level. You're super engaged with the sales rep. You can have a conversation about how to engage them further. I think at the end of the day, the value of ABM and community is that ABM is trying to drive engagement in top accounts and community has engagement in top accounts. And so if you can leverage both of those each direction, then it can help both teams achieve their goals in a really meaningful way, as long as you're keeping trust at the forefront. Moving on to the next question, I do have a question about a cookie-less future. I'm actually not going to answer this in detail today because I want to get an expert onto the podcast to be able to talk about this in more depth. I'm not an expert in the cookie-less future. I have some thoughts on it. I will reserve those and put a little tease here that I will bring somebody on within uh, this season to get to talk about a cookie-less future. The next question is, if my company wants to pilot a one-to-few or one-to-one ABM but doesn't have supporting tech, what do we do? I think that is perfectly fine. You just have to find what you can do today. Like I mentioned earlier, if you can sit down with sales or you can sit down with SERs and help them prioritize accounts, uh, you should have data. I hope you have data, at least first party data to help prioritize those accounts. That's the best first step is to align in which accounts you want to go after and what you're trying to achieve in those accounts. When you say you don't have tech, it can vary a lot in terms of you have no tech or you have tech that's not meant for ABM. A lot of technology, while it's not, say, an ABM platform or ABM specific, you can run account-based plays in it as long as you can narrow in on an audience. So that would be my first my first ask or my first step is sit down with sales. What are they trying to achieve? How can you support them? And take whatever you're doing and tailor it just a little bit more to meet the needs of that audience. That'd be my first step. If you really want to run an account-based play or an, like a full account-based program, I do recommend you fully mapping out what you might need to be successful because you also don't want to set an expectation them say oh well abm doesn't work and then you're kind of in a circle where you're stuck and can't get out of that so you want to make sure that you really are setting yourself up for success whatever that is so set your expectations accordingly make sure they're very clear so you can meet those goals that you put forth with your sales all right the last question of the ask me anything for go to market speed dial abm edition is what motivates you in marketing and what's your why? So thank you for this question. Uh, this question comes from a post that I made that I am reading Simon Sinek's book or just finished the book, Start With Why. And I have asked my team this question, what's your why? Why do you show up to work? What gets you going outside of work? And my why is innovation. I thrive at the intersection of creativity and scale. So I love the creative side of marketing. I love the personal side of marketing, but I I like doing it in a very scalable way. So how can you connect the things that make people feel important and make people feel heard and seen with the impact across an organization the size of an enterprise? I think that's a really unique skill set and it is a constant challenge and problem solving on a daily basis. And so that creativity, maybe not the scale side, but the creativity extends outside to my personal life as well. I like building things, doing DIY, learning how to use power tools and home projects to make things better around my house. And so that that's my why. I'm a creator at heart. And that's also why I like doing this podcast and posting on LinkedIn is because I love creating content and connecting with people. And that is a common thread through all that I do, both in my career and outside of my career. So thank you to everybody who submitted questions for today's episode of go to market speed dial podcast if you are loving the podcast i encourage you to please leave a review on either apple podcast or spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts 
Um, I am learning through this process that the algorithm favors reviews. So if you would be so kind as to leave a review, it can be an emoji, it can be a comment, it can be what your why is. I would love to have that and I appreciate you listening. Like I must share in every episode, the thoughts, ideas, and opinions expressed on this podcast are my own and do not represent that of my employer. If you have any ideas for podcast guests or topics, please visit my website, thehillarycarpio.com forward slash podcast. And there's an opportunity there for you to leave a note and uh, it'll send me an email and I will take that information and use it uh, to generate some ideas for upcoming podcasts. We've got a great lineup coming up focused on how to be a better go-to-market leader. So stay tuned for more. And thanks for joining this episode of the Go-To-Market Speed Down Let's go!